You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, Episode 60. In today's Tidbit Tuesday, we're chatting about blending multiple exposures, including the different types used in landscape and nature photography, and why you might want to give it a try. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. I hope you're having a good week so far, and thanks so much for tuning in to today's Tidbit Tuesday, which was inspired by one of our listeners, Michelle, who submitted the following question. Hi, I have a question. Um, If you are shooting a high dynamic scene and you review your histogram once you take your picture, and it does not clip the left or the right side of the histogram, is there any advantage to bracket that same scene? Thank you, Michelle, for this great question, which leads us well into a broader conversation about combining multiple exposures. However, the first question I think we should answer is, how do you determine when to blend or not to blend multiple images? Well, if you're a purist and aren't interested in ever combining photographs, then the answer is never, and you probably don't need to listen to the rest of this episode. If you are a digital artist who enjoys creating composites or complex photographs that are not possible in camera or maybe didn't even occur in real life, then the answer is whenever you feel like it. But for the rest of us who are in the middle of the bell curve, The answer is whenever you need to or want to overcome the limitations of your camera and lenses. So the short answer to Michelle's question is, if her histogram is showing no clipping of the highlights or shadows, then she's already capturing all the necessary pixel information needed to develop that photograph of a high dynamic range scene. And bracketing the exposure likely won't gain her very much because the histogram already told her that the scene's dynamic range didn't exceed that of her camera. That said, as with many things in photography, it depends. So even if the shadows are not clipped in the histogram, there is a chance that they could be a little noisy after bringing the shadows up in the editing process. So determining whether a bracketed exposure would be beneficial in Michelle's scenario depends on her preferences and knowledge of her camera and how well it handles shadows. Also, if you wanted to create a photograph where you exaggerated the dynamic range of the scene, then you would also consider bracketing. Personally, I wouldn't bracket the exposure if the histogram looked good with a single exposure unless it was, you know, like a really mind-blowing scene and I really wanted to make sure to cover all of my bases. And sometimes what I'll do in situations like these is to use the single exposure, you know, one where the histogram's looking good, and then duplicate that single exposure in Lightroom, and then edit one of the files favoring the highlights and the other file favoring the shadows, and then I'll combine those two files in Photoshop. So that's another way to approach this type of situation. Now, exposure bracketing, if you're unsure what that is, it simply means taking 
three to five exposures of the same scene and varying the exposure settings by one stop or so in order to cover the full dynamic range of the scene. So usually one frame is slightly underexposed where you're favoring the highlights, one photograph is exposing for the midtones, and one photograph is slightly overexposed where you're sort of favoring the shadows. And then those multiple exposures are blended in post-processing using software like Photoshop. By the way, if the concepts of high dynamic range and histograms are new or confusing to you, then I encourage you to check out episode 24, where I discuss exposing for high dynamic range scenes, and also episode 30, where I talk about histograms. So the example that we've been talking about so far is just one kind of blending or combining that you can do with multiple exposures or frames. So let's briefly talk about some of the other options you have if you want to extend the capability of your camera. So first of all, the term multiple exposure can be used to mean different things. A multiple exposure can be one frame that has been exposed multiple times. So for example, using film, this means not advancing the film after you have created an exposure and exposing that same frame another time or two to get a photograph that's more abstract in nature. Colleen Minnick, who was our guest back in episode 19, actually recently published a great post on her Dear Bubbles website about creating multiple exposures in this way. So I'll link to that in the show notes so that you can check it out. Okay, and the other way that the term multiple exposure is used is to describe when you combine or blend together separate frames or exposures into a single photograph. And exposure bracketing, which we were talking about earlier, is one example of this kind of multiple exposure blend. Another example of blending exposures of the same scene could be, say, when you want to create a Milky Way photo with a nice foreground and you want to be able to see that foreground without light painting. So you might consider creating a photograph of the foreground during blue hour or twilight when there's still just enough light to illuminate it. And then later on, creating a photograph of the same scene with the Milky Way after it rises and then blending those two images later in post-processing. Another example could be when you're photographing waterfalls and streams and you want to use two different shutter speeds. So typically when we're photographing water, we're using long shutter speeds to blur the motion of the water. But that means anything in the scene that's moving will also be blurred, like nearby vegetation, for example. So one way around this is to blend together two images with different shutter speeds, but with the same overall exposure so that you can combine an image with the blurred moving water with the image of the still vegetation into a final image. Another type of multiple exposure blending that's done a lot in landscape and nature photography is focus stacking, which is also known as focus blending. In this case, the limitation that you are overcoming is the depth of field. So you would focus stack in a situation where you needed to maximize the depth of field beyond what you would get by focusing at the hyperfocal distance or because the scene or subject is calling for it. So for example, in macro photography where it's not practical to focus at the hyperfocal distance, it's very challenging to achieve a deep depth of field without focus stacking. So in focus stacking, what you're doing is you're taking multiple frames of the same scene, but with the focus point at different points throughout the scene so that the depths of field of each frame overlap. 
one advantage of doing focus blending or focus stacking is that you can use the best aperture for your lens and then overlap the depths of field at that aperture rather than using a really narrow aperture, say like F18 or F22, which could also increase your depth of field, but it can also lead to a softening of the image a little bit or other types of lens distortions once you get up into those really high, narrow aperture ranges. And so that is an advantage of using focus stacking is that you can pick the aperture that you know is best for your lens. That could be F8, F11, or something like that, but you have a smaller depth of field. And so you can overlap those depths of field through focus stacking. And then what you do is you blend those images together so that the sharpest part of each frame is used in the final blended photograph. And you can choose these focus points manually throughout the scene, or some newer cameras actually have the ability to do the focus stacking for you, which can also be really handy. Now, in terms of blending those images during the editing process, you have a lot of options. You can manually blend them using layer masks in Photoshop. And I have a YouTube tutorial on how to do that, which I'll link to in the show notes. Or you can try the auto blend feature in Photoshop, although I've rarely had success with that. Or you can invest in a program that is specifically designed for focus blending, such as Helicon Focus, which many of our guests have recommended to me, although I haven't used it myself yet. Okay, so another kind of multiple exposure blend is to make a stitched panorama, either horizontally or vertically, to include more of the scene than you would be able to achieve with a wide angle lens without any perspective distortion. And you would also choose to do this if you wanted to increase the size of your file for printing really, really large images. So, you know, you could create a panoramic effect in a single photograph by simply cropping it to a two by one or three by one kind of aspect ratio. But of course, now you're throwing out some pixels when you do that and you won't be able to really blow up the size of that final print. And lastly, another kind of multiple exposure blend that you can do is a perspective blend where you combine two images of the same scene taken at different focal lengths. And the reason you might choose to do this would be because you are, say, using a wide angle lens really close up to a foreground feature, which will exaggerate the size of that foreground element in the frame. But it will also reduce the relative size of anything in the background, like making the mountains in the background look smaller than maybe they do in real life. Now, now of course, the flower or whatever it is you have in the foreground that's up against your wide angle lens is going to appear larger than life. And this is just part of the fun of doing perspective blends like that is to get that more exaggerated, near far type of depth in an image. Now, I personally have not done this kind of work, but if you are interested in learning more about this or really any of the types of blending that we talked about today, then I highly recommend checking out Sean Bagshaw's tutorials on YouTube and some of his paid courses as well. He is a master at these techniques and he's also a phenomenal teacher and he happens to be our guest on the show next week. So be sure to stay tuned for that. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this Tidbit Tuesday and for your submitted questions. As always, I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you want to get the links and other information I mentioned today, you can find the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 60. And while you're there, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast or even just a topic to suggest, you can record your message or contact me directly on the website. 
Also, thank you to everyone who has left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or directly on the podcast website. Each of these ratings and reviews really helps the show grow and reach new listeners. And it also shows our guests that we have an engaged listenership and they get a sense of who you are and what it is that you like to listen to. I also so appreciate everyone who has supported the show through buying me a coffee through the link on the podcast website. So thank you all for taking a moment to support the show in these various ways. And as I already mentioned, I'll be back here next week with Oregon-based landscape photographer and educator Sean Bagshaw to chat about translating what you connect with in the landscape into a compelling photograph, the role of shadow when it comes to understanding light, luminosity masks and multiple exposure blending, and a whole lot more. So be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite player so you don't miss out on this or any of our upcoming episodes. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care. <laughs>